John Henry Crawford, welcome to All Classical Portland. And we have our arts blog feature where I get to talk to musicians about their new recordings. And that's what uh, we're going to be doing today with your recording, which I'm going to start off again because I'm always a nerd about pronunciations. Do you like Dialogo or some other pronunciation for the name of your album? Uh, that's that's a good question. Uh, I think what I'd sort of... Uh as I've sort of been, you know, learning more about the word, I think dialogo is probably um, the pronunciation I, I'm gonna go with. So, dialogo. I, I like that better. It sounds a little like Diablo. Exactly, uh, <laughs> it, that comes to mind too, yeah. You know, that might be a word that I would apply to Ligeti's music based on some of what I've heard, but the unaccompanied cello sonata that you play and that Diagolo movement uh, is, I have to admit, and I've listened to a fair amount, um, but it's it's unlike a lot of the ligati that I think of when I think of that composer. It really is. It's it's such a change from you know what the atmospheres, the ligati atmospheres, and his cello concerto, which is an entirely different beast. Um, you know, it was written when he was quite young, I think, and there's an interesting story behind the piece. Uh, he fell in love with a, a fellow student who was a cellist. Her name was Anus Virani. And uh, he wrote the first movement as a kind of love, an ode to love for her. And, you know, it's very much conversational. It's very much of a dialogo, a uh, dialogue where they're communicating with each other and singing in tandem. And it's, it's so interesting because, ironically, this is all happening on a solo cello. So to have these two voices uh, pleading and questioning all happening on just one instrument, I think, is what makes the piece so unique. it feel for a cellist to play an unaccompanied work as opposed to when you have a piano accompanist someone with you what, what's what's the difference in in your feeling and in in playing well it's I think a totally different dynamic in the sense that you know being alone you you have in a sense more responsibility to create an atmosphere and to maintain this sort of sense of flow throughout a piece and sense of sustain that you don't have when, you, when you're playing with a pianist. With the sonatas, we're very lucky to have a pianist playing with us who takes on part of the load, uh, who can feed you energy, musical energy, that then you can take and respond with. And with the solo sonatas, with, with the ligety, you don't have that. You're the sole generator of all of the the impulses and the musical ideas. So I'd say there's a greater sense of responsibility, you know, you ha that you have, and also you're more exposed. 
you know, sometimes playing with a pianist uh, or other string players, you feel that in some ways you can sort of hide beneath them in, in certain lines, particularly if you're the supporting line. You don't, you don't want to always be prominent and in the limelight. And so uh, we have to, at times, you know, dip below the other lines and become a supporter. Uh, but in this, you know, you at all times are the protagonist, you're the, the main character, you're, you're conveying this main character, uh, which in this case are the, the two lovebirds in the dialogue. The dialogo. Brahms wrote only two cello sonatas, unless there's one that's hidden away somewhere, but I think he burned everything. So um, so what, is, is there a preference by cellists of one cello, cello sonata over the other? I mean, you, it's easy to find plenty of recordings that have the E minor and the F major, and they, they were written many, many years apart. But just as a player, do you, do you like one more than the other? Oh, that's tough. Uh, <laughs> I'd say, you know, it really depends on, there, there are characteristics of both that I, I love and that are satisfying. I think, you know, it really just depends on the mood almost. The E minor sonata is, especially with the first movement and the last, I mean, the, all, the whole piece is much more brooding, dark and brooding, and it, it directly references Bach's contrapuntal style, and it, it actually quotes a, a specific contrapuntus from uh, Bach's works. And with the F major sonata, the second one, the one we've recorded, it's an entirely different beast. It's very grandiose. Uh, it's these soaring high lines, uh, very positive. Um, there is storm as well, you know, in, in the, particularly in the third movement, the scherzo, it's very stormy and, uh, you know, very fast paced. But in general, it is this warm, very, you know, sunny piece. And particularly in the fourth movement, you have this kind of almost childlike melody that begins in the cello. It's just very lighthearted. So I think it, you know, it just depends on the, the day and, and what you're in the mood for. But uh, I love them both equally. Maybe it's a nice foil to some of the darker tones, I guess we could say, the Shostakovich sonata that's also on on the disc. But that is such a wonderful piece to listen to, and it's it has a lot to offer. I mean, it's it's one of these pieces that you can just feel is coming out of experiences that Shostakovich had, but at the same time, there's just so much for the listener to enjoy. How is it for the cellist to play? 
Well, it's uh, absolutely right. It's one of those pieces that's very satisfying to listen to. I think one of the things about this piece is that it's so it's so raw in terms of the emotion. Shostakovich was going through a difficult time in his life. And similar to Ligeti, this piece was born out of those life events. You know, he had been seeing a young translator who he was in love with, but he was married. And so, you know, his wife found out and they had a divorce for some time and they were separated. And this piece was written during that time. So the piece is very, there's this very prominent feeling of solitude and isolation. And it reflects, I think, Shostakovich's frame of mind as the protect, you know, being the cellist, the protagonist. Shostakovich is often kind of wondering and thinking to himself, particularly in the third movement. It's almost a kind of soliloquy. The cello starts alone. And it, you could imagine Shostakovich maybe just talking to himself, uh, what went wrong or why did I do this? Or, you know, we could use our imaginations to, to fill in the words, but uh, it's very gripping. And particularly the second movement as well, it's just this impact, you know, where we feel this frenzy of emotion and with the fourth movement as well. So I think it's really, he doesn't mask his feelings at all. It's just pure what he's feeling. to talk to you or have you talk about your cello because I understand that there's there's some definite 20th century history built into that cello as well I was I was really struck when I, I learned of a, just a, just a sketch of of the cello that you own well it, it's a fascinating history indeed and uh, you know I'm very lucky to play this instrument the story is much longer than I have time to tell, but I can give a sort of condensed version, which is that my grandfather, Dr. Robert Popper, uh, who's from Innsbruck, Austria, about seven weeks before Kristallnacht, he saw the writing on the wall and decided to leave Austria. He made the difficult but life-saving decision to leave his home country. And he and his brother Siegfried, they decided to get out and they tried to convince their parents, but having spent their whole lives in Austria, it seemed just unthinkable to leave. But the political and social climate were changing. There was a huge amount of anti-Semitism that was ever present preceding and during the Holocaust. And so, you know, my grandfather, he bought a Nazi travel passport on the black market and took a train through Germany. And he traveled to Lithuania and to Latvia and he awaited a sponsor who could certify his immigration attempt to the U.S. Uh, and at one point, he was the only passenger on a cargo ship headed to England. But he, he made, you know, all these rounds in Europe trying to get out, and it took a lot of patience as well. But ultimately, he was able to come to the U.S. And the cello, the way the cello fits in this story is that the Austrian exit tax was whatever you owned. So he couldn't leave with the cello himself. And he knew this boy, this American boy, who was traveling through Europe 
and he was biking through Switzerland and Austria and he decided he was going to have this guy smuggle the cellos out. So he built a big wooden crate and uh, he put all these instruments in there. He had a couple cellos, a couple violins, and the American packed them into Switzerland and he later recovered them. So, you know, if this cello could talk, uh, I'm sure it would have plenty of stories to tell, but I'm very lucky to play on it and uh, very grateful to my grandfather for what he did in, in that time. Oh, it's extraordinary. So did the cello, the cello remain in, in the family, passed down, or did it ever leave? leave? It did. It, it's been in the family since he purchased it in, I believe, 19, 1918. I think, uh, so it's been in the family for over a hundred years almost, I think. Um, yeah. Wow. It's, it's been in our family probably for longer than it's been around. That must give you a special feeling when you play it, I imagine, thinking, thinking of the history as well as the family connection and the extraordinary uh, story of escape. It really does. And knowing that, you know, it went through Nazi border inspections. I mean, it, it was inspected by Nazis who were going through people's belongings crossing the border. Just that thought, you know, it, it's an empirical artifact, artifact of proof of, you know, what occurred. And uh, I do feel that part of his legacy, you know, is really living inside of this cello. And so it's inspiring to play on it in that sense and uh, gives me a great sense of honor to be able to carry it and, and have it as my musical partner. Imagine you're going to keep it, keep it with you and keep it in the family. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> John Henry, is this your debut recording? Because you're a, you're a new artist to me, at least. This is. This is a debut recording. Uh, Congratulations. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, it's one of those things as, as musicians, you know, our work is more finite in time than, say, an, a, you know, a painting or a sculpture. So I, I love making recordings. Uh, and I think it's something that is really special to think that maybe this will last beyond my lifetime. And uh, it's something that we can sort of stamp into, uh, etch into stone more so than we get to do with concerts, um, you know, assuming they aren't recorded. So I, it was really special for me. And uh, I feel like, you know, it's, it is a snapshot in time of, of who you are as a human being and as a musician. So uh, I had great fun making this recording. Based on this release date, I imagine this was done last year amid COVID and precautions and all of that. It was actually done uh, prior to that. Um, I was very fortunate to be awarded uh, an award from the Classical Recording Foundation in the summer of 2019. And we recorded it shortly after that. And that process, little did we know what was coming in the following year, but unfortunately, you know, because of the pandemic, the, the actual process of releasing it, it, it slowed down and everything, but as with so many other things in life. Um, but I'm grateful that it's now, uh, the, the time has come for it, so. 
Well, John Henry, it's it's wonderful to have a chance to uh, to talk to you and get to know you and hear some fantastic stories and some new ones that I can now share, like about that Shostakovich uh, and the other pieces that are on the disc. So I guess my tag question would be, you know, the one that I ask everybody, are, are there any any performances on the horizon between you and Mr. Ascension possible or, or being talked about? There are definitely being talked about. Uh, we would like to have maybe a set of performances with this particular program uh, to perform. So we're, we're, you know, in discussions about that and logistically, of course, with COVID and everything, uh, it's, it's uh, something that has been a little bit of a hurdle, but hopefully in the very near future, we'll be able to make it happen. Yes. Well, I'm looking forward to sharing your new recording with our listeners here. So John Henry Crawford, thank you again and have a lovely day. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.